Hi, this is Greg Lamond, and you're listening to the Velocast at the 2016 Tour de France with Scott Raw, John Galloway, and Ashley House. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Velocast analysis of the 2016 Tour de France. Today the peloton tackled stage 15 from Bourg-en-Bresse to Coulouse and across several peaks of the Jura Mountains. Far from being a day where the GC was the centre of attention, it was time for the day's break to fight it out for stage honours and provide us with much of the afternoon's entertainment. 30 riders managed to establish a lead of several minutes but rapidly split on the slopes of the first of the day's climbs. By the time we reached the first time around the Grand Colombier, a duo of Tinkoff's Raffle Mica and Iam's Jarlinson Pantano had established themselves as the likely pairing who would go head-to-head in the run into the line. And given Mashka's lack of sprinting prowess, it really came as no surprise when the Colombian Pantano led from the front to take the victory. Can I just say how delighted I am to see Yarlins and Pantano win this stage? Um, you know, and I hate to mention Ashley this early in the show, but you know, as I said to Ashley when we were chatting a few minutes ago. Yarlins and Pantano winning that stage in the Tour de Suisse and his emotional outburst afterwards and the fact he was so delighted really, really warmed my heart towards him as a rider. You know, it's it's a new dawn for Colombian cycling. It's the best time since the Café de Colombia in the 80s, I think, for Colombian cycling. And Pantano winning today just put a huge smile on my face. And we actually had some cracking racing leading up to it. So, you know, all round, it's, it's a happy John that podcast to you tonight. Yes, you're absolutely right. Good for Yalinson Pantano. Of course, I've, he, I assume still at this point, is, is looking for, for another team for 2017. Mm-hmm. Good for, for Iam, you know, to take a stage in the Tour de France is great for, for any relatively small team, but a bit bittersweet and poignant given that they are, are closing this year, which we're all hugely sad about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, with with Tinkoff going away, uh, with Iam going, with rumours that um, Andy Reese at BMC is, is reducing funding for the team and wants to move towards just supplying bicycles, um, it's it's a difficult time for team sponsorship, but I don't think we can take any joy away from Pantano winning. And, you know, on a, a stage which in the Jura Mountains was just absolutely stunning in its beauty, you know, with the long views of Mont Blanc, with the incredible, you know, incredible scenes overhead from the chopper on the Lassettes de, de la Colombier, uh, with the, you know, the descent through the woodland where we saw Micah, you know, take a, a small deviation on at the verge, which helped an already charging Pantano get back on and take the victory. Uh, we had, you know, drama with mechanicals from Philippe. We had former Grand Tour winners in Vincenzo Nibali having a dig. It, it just had everything. And a lot of people I've seen a lot of stuff on social media saying, "Well, that was really dull because the GC didn't, you know, didn't do much today." We saw some GC movement, but today wasn't really about the GC. It was always going to be about a breakaway. I mean, it was always going to be about a breakaway, and what we were treated to was actually a breakaway, which was an absolute classic from Tour de France standards: strong guys in a big group, then shredded by individual efforts. Uh, you know, some motion within the uh, King of the Mountains jersey. There was nothing dull about today. It was it was as good as today's parkour could have made, and I, I genuinely think that people are getting 
far too cynical about you know the, the the overall outlook to the Tour de France, and we should be celebrating these things on a day to day basis, as opposed to saying, "Well, it's all decided now." I'm with you in that I don't think it's all decided. However, we are running out of days. Oh no, clearly and... it's all decided. I'm just trying to talk it up, mate. <laughs> well, no, I'm I'm sticking by it is not all yeah, decided. Me too. I'm just, I'm just I'm, I'm joking again. However, given what we saw in the latter part of the stage, I think some people's disappointment is coming from, yes, it was all about the break and the break was really, really entertaining, but we kept flicking back to see what was happening in GC and got disappointed because kind of nothing really happened. Mm. And I, I understand that the claims today maybe weren't punishing enough to really draw the ire of GC contenders. But again, I'm, I'm being forced to ask, what in the name of Sean Kelly's saddle is it going to take for Nairo Quintana to have a go in this race? His attack on Vaughn 2 would barely have disturbed the skin on a rice pudding. And I know he's known for his implacability, but it might be at least reassuring to, to have some idea that he's actually not asleep behind those sunglasses. I mean, he does know he's at the tour yet. Well, someone has checked on this kind of thing. Because I really wouldn't like us to get to Paris to discover he's been suffering from some weird strain of narcolepsy and has snoozed his way around the entire course. I don't think he's got it this year. I don't think he's got it. I think he's pragmatic enough to realise that he doesn't have it and doesn't see any effort, you know, or any benefit in wasting effort. Um, we had Alejandro Valverde, you know, talking up the chances, saying he'd be strong in the final week and they were going to take it to Froome after the rest day. And make no mistake, after the rest day, the parkour is seriously difficult. You know, we're looking at a point where you could make minutes worth of difference if you're, you know, if, if Froome has a, not a bad day, but even a slightly dodgy day. And Alejandro or um, you know, Nairo has a really good day. You can see a big difference made. But we are running out of time. You're right. I mean, we are running out of time. And as we watch time and again, movie star put in a situation where you'd expect them to, you know, at least make the semblance of an attack and they just sit there and then they sit there some more and then, they, you know, they just do nothing. I'm seeing a lot of people who look really happy racing for second, third, fourth, fifth. Um, and that's not going to make a great finale to this Tour de France. I mean, I see a lot of people, a lot of people criticising Team Sky for being too strong. Um, and I don't think we saw that today. I don't. I, then they're you know, not they're watching. Not, you know, they're, mm. they're just not too strong. I'm more concerned about the lack of ambition and the lack of hunger amongst the people who are sitting below Chris Room because the gaps aren't huge. You know, this isn't an Indurain-esque, um, you know, extraterrestrial time trial has put the entire thing to bed. The gaps are still manageable and people just aren't trying to take the race to Team Sky. And that's not Team Sky's fault. So let's not, you know, let's not pour all the crap on them for what is actually a lack of ambition amongst other GC contenders. Well, the reason I'm I'm quite grumpy, you may have noticed, about today is that we've criticised and a lot of people have criticised Team Sky for many, many things over the years. And one of the things that came uh, their way was, was this idea that they only, you know, they had Plan A and they only stuck to Plan A. And they were really, really weak when Plan A went by the wayside. That, oh my God, what do we do now? There's no, there's no Plan B. I'm seeing that with especially Movistar, it would seem, because you mentioned Alejandro Valverde there. 
and I want to highlight the, the quote that, that he gave uh, after the stage where he said... Um, Sky were very strong yet again and they made it really hard for us. It was a very difficult stage and, and difficult for us to do anything with the pace. Nairo seemed pretty relaxed. He's very strong coming into this next week. We're going to try to do our best in the coming week. We're definitely going to try something. I think people are expecting more fire and fight from us. We will fight uh, the coming stages, but not today. Well, hang on a minute. One, why do you why do you assume that it's going to be any easier in the final week? If 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 it was very difficult today, it's going to be doubly so next week. And this idea that we're just going to stick to that plan will absolutely be your undoing here because what I saw from Team Sky today was a Mikel Landa, a Geraint Thomas, uh, a Sergio Hanau, all dropped, all looking like they'd gone 10 rounds with Mike Tyson. Yeah, not dropped in a controlled and planned fashion. They actually looked in the bucket. Yeah, and Whitpool's being the only rider left for, for Chris Froome, guzzling down many cans of Coke, like, you know, free drinks at a, a, a wedding. It was bizarre that I was watching... Team Sky really struggle, it seemed, in places today. And nobody was willing to just take a chance, apart from Roman Bardi. Um, and the, the reason I'm saying only Roman Bardi was because uh, Alejandro Valverde chasing down Fabio Aru. I mean, why? Mm -hmm. Because well done, Alejandro. You did an absolutely masterful job in being the bridge between Fabio Aru and Team Sky behind Big tick, gold star there, young man. And then that brings us very, very neatly to Astana. Nibali Don't get goes me off. On Astana, mate. I was absolutely baffled by what they were up to today. Well, I'm going to have to just for the sake of the, <laughs> the listening public <laughs> who, who want us to at least attempt to, to cover what happened today. Nibali goes off and another no shits given foray into the day's break decides, oh, these climbs are a wee bit nippy. Best I pedal squares all the way back to the peloton, by which time he's too cooked to be of absolutely any assistance to his alleged team leader. And then you get the situation where Astana are sitting in front of Team Sky doing all the work for Fabio Aru to put in another kind of half-hearted attack, which then gets pulled back ostensibly by Alejandro Valverde. So I can only imagine that Astana's team tactics were concocted around a campfire late last night, everyone lying flat on their backs, gazing wide-eyed and open-mouthed at the majesty of the heavens, while tripping their tits off in LSD. Teams, yeah, I mean, Team Astana today were astonishing for me, because what we saw was a Team Sky who were being depleted. I mean, really, it was just Woot at the front, uh, you know, and... As you say, when he wasn't drinking coke, he was fiddling with his genitalia. It was. I didn't say that. Yeah, you said that. Not you know, me. It, 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 yeah, more than two shakes is well. We know what that is. <laughs> I mean, we just—he should not have been fiddling about in his bib shorts as much as he was today. But for me, what it looked like was a Stana looked looked at the lineup and thought, "Oh, Sky have only got one guy left." We'll just go and set the pace instead and they can sit in our wheel and do nothing while we do exactly what, you know, Sergio Hanau and Geraint Thomas and, you know, uh, Mika Landa should have been doing. And yeah, they set the pace hard enough that Taru was able to have a wee dig. But essentially, they just did Sky's work, you know, they just bolstered the train that Froome needs because we know Froome can sit. You know, the reason he's such a good time trialist is he can sit at X number of watts for a week if he wants. And if you sit 
people... I mean, what did they think they were going to do? Drop Froome and, and Pools? I mean, seriously. You know, it, it was just... The, the whole day was bizarre. And I can, I can excuse it from a lot of people. I genuinely can. But from, from movie star particularly, they need to be shaking it up a bit. And the only reason that's, that they're that's not the is I don't think they have it. Yeah, and, and, and that is the key. You know, this idea of shaking it up a bit because... You absolutely hit the nail on the head there. All Astana did was Sky's work for them. I mean, I, I was given to to wonder how much Eusebio Unzu, Jim Okovitz and, and Stephen De Jong are getting paid. And has anyone actually investigated whether there's entries into their bank accounts from a Mr D Brailsford for services regarding doing exactly what we need you to mm. do? There's there's no creative thinking. Ironically, given the this idea that you know, this, you see this in social media a lot, that the skybots at the front of the, the peloton, as if it's it's completely controlled and, and they do automaton-like what they've been told to do and, and nothing will get in their way. Well, the only creative riding we've actually seen from anyone in the peloton thus far has been from Chris Froome himself. And it's that kind of creative thinking that needs to come from other teams if they want to win or even challenge for this Tour de France. I mean, B- BMC were. That's all I got. BMC were. There were some elements of BMC in the race today, but they were so inconsequential that they might as well have been sponsored by the Liechtenstein Homeopathic Society. Yeah, I mean, BMC, for me, um, essentially have proven that their entire strategy is wrong. I mean, they should never have left Richie Port alone at that point. Port is clearly the strongest guy. You know, he he's there, he's in contention. Uh, and in fact, we saw Bardi attack today and Bardi got a lot of plaudits for attacking. And, and so he should. I mean, Daniel Freib at the start of the day said, what was it, that this, this stage couldn't be more Roman Bardi if it was Bardi to Bardi over the call to Bardi. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we expected him to attack. We've seen him perform in stages like this in the Dauphiné and he's been brilliant. But mainly I think he attacked because TJ was distanced. You know, and we've seen BMC, they've got just as much money as they need, but they, they just can't put it all together. And, you know, people are criticising Team Sky. People are really giving Team Sky a hard time for being, you know, for stifling the race and Team Sky are killing this race and, you know, Team Sky are really, you know, they've got so much dominance that they've shut down the GC it's absolute bollocks. I mean, what they've got is a, a darth, you know, a paucity, a competition, which is making them look better than they actually are. We should be blaming the people who should be taking the race to Team Sky, not Team Sky for being dominant, when they can be, you know, so, augmented by Astana and, and, you know, taken to task <laughs> by any number of... Team Sky aren't <laughs> super dominant. It's just nobody's taking the race to them. No, and, and everybody kind of gets this impression when Team Sky defending the yellow jersey do what the team defending the yellow jersey have to do in the early, but certainly in the early part of a stage, which is go to the front. Because I saw a lot of that with the entire stage being broadcast today. You know, we saw Team Sky come to the front after the break had gone and people went, oh, oh, there it is again, Team Sky, that's the race shut down. And I'm, I'm I again come back to this idea that if... Team Sky are so dominant. Why was there only whoop pools protecting Chris Froome on a stage which didn't have 
12 to Orcat climbs on yeah. it. This isn't a hugely dominant team. And you're right, John. All we're seeing here is a, is a, a very impressive uh, Chris Froome who has taken the race by the cudgels and got the time that he has over his rivals thus far. But what his rivals are not doing is taking advantage where the opportunities are presenting themselves. And for that, they need a kick up the backside. And judging by the comments, the kind of laissez-faire comments of Alejandro Valverde, oh, it'll be fine in the third week. We will attack. And and I'll be hugely uh, full of praise. I'll be delighted if, if it actually happens. Yes. Yeah, if it happens and, and it all comes together, then then great. I'll, I shall be eating my words. But right now, as we stand, I'm giving every other team who've got a, a, a dog in the fight for this this GC a big slap because they had a golden opportunity to at least put the fear of God up, Chris Froome, today, and they missed it. I'll tell you what, though. You know, I've made these, you know, these uh, comparisons with US Postal. Um, because Team Sky have, you know, derived that model, and Killian actually quite rightly said uh, that Team Sky's money has actually given them a lot of benefit because they bought a lot of the people who should have been chasing stage victory today. You know, people like Mikel Wander, um, who were were burned and discarded. I've got to say, US Postal would never have put up with what Astana did today, which is going to the front and doing their job. You know, and it yeah. worked for Team Sky, but if it had been US Postal, you would have seen, you know, Acevedo or whoever or George Hincapie sent to the front to slap those boys down. You know, we and and the whole conspiracy theorists, all the tinfoil hat guys, and you know, I've got no idea if Sky are doped or not. But what they're doing is they're lending a sense of invincibility to Team Sky that on the basis of what we're seeing today, they don't deserve. Well, after all that, I'm sure that everyone will be delighted to hear the refreshing thoughts of friend and Eurosport Tour Extra presenter Ashley House. So let's cross to him now. And welcome from the Jura Mountains, Ashley House. Um, a fascinating stage today. I mean, not a lot of action in the GC front, although there's something to talk about there. But absolutely confusing all day with, with riders being dropped from brakes, attacking from brakes, having mechanicals, going off the road. Uh, it was never a dull moment. No, never a dull moment. Good evening, everyone. Hi, John. And well done for saying Jura Mountains, by the way. I had a, a very lengthy discussion on Twitter about whether it was the Alps or the Jura and which tectonic plate it is and everything else. But that's because I'm slightly nerdy and I like to know about all these things. Um, I think, uh, yeah, you and I were just saying beforehand, one of the things that people might not realise about being on site at, at a Grand Tour or, or any cycling race, actually, is that it's a lot more difficult to follow what's going on than you might think. So when you see things on the TV, you quite often have more information than we do at, actually on site, which sounds strange, but it's true. So for about the last 60K or so, I've been very confused about where groups are, who's where, who's getting dropped from which group, whether people have gone off, have had mechanicals or crashed, and uh, you know who's breaking, who's going, who's breaking out of a group, and who's being dropped off the back of another one. So I've been quite confused for about the last couple of hours. It's really funny. I mean, you mentioned that Scott and I, we've been doing this since 2009 um, and we've had loads of emails saying we want you to be on the ground because we've done some great shows from, you know, Paris-Roubaix or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but what we actually find is you can do a better analysis when you're sitting watching it at home because you actually see the race. And having you on the ground is a, a great boon to us this year because we can bring the two things together. You know, we can have a man on the ground who's getting the atmosphere and we can do the analysis. Often when you're at the race, if you do want to see what's happening, you're just sitting in a press room watching the same telly that you'd be watching at home anyway. 
Yeah, that's true. And it's not only that, but at least you, when you're sitting at home, assuming you've got a good internet connection and stuff, you can actually see uh, or go online and, and sort of read what's going on from loads of different places, loads of different bloggers and, and all that kind of thing. Whereas here, when as soon as this crowd starts to arrive, and it sounds silly, I suppose, in 2016, but it's actually really true, the internet basically goes down. So, yeah. uh, so you, you have sort of tour trackers on or live blogs or whatever it might be, but they're all say completely different things uh, at different times. And it's, it's really quite difficult because obviously there aren't, there aren't an infinite number of cameras on the road and it, there are already too many in, in yours and my opinion, but uh, there aren't an infinite amount. So you only get to see a certain amount on the TV. The, the commentators sometimes really struggle to know what's going on as well. And the fact that the internet is so bad, sometimes because we're in the middle of nowhere and sometimes just because, you know, there might be 30, 40, 50,000 people here and everyone's trying to upload videos to, the social media and everything else. So the bandwidth just goes so quickly. Yeah, it's actually really difficult to follow what's going on. <laughs> now, I mean, we'll talk about the GC in a minute, but for me, the highlight of the day was the win from Jarlinson Pantano. His stage win in the Tour de Suisse was one of my absolute highlights of the year. You know, the floods of tears, the absolute joy on his face. And, you know, listeners have been sending me links to, you know, him celebrating when fellow Colombians have won stages in the past. Uh, you know, he's just a, a top top bloke and him winning a stage in the Tour de France is it, it's absolutely brilliant I, I love the guy yeah it's, it is good isn't it and, I mean he's hopeless I mean he's, we've been talking about him for a, well over a year I guess but this season's definitely been something of a breakthrough and it's, it was a, a step up today winning a, winning a Tour de France stage a real step up not just because the Tour de France is a bigger race than the Tour de Suisse and the, and the guys who are in it are bigger but he was up against Rafa Maika at the end who's already won three stages I think in the Tour and, yeah. you know, is a genuine GC contender for, for Grand Tours himself. So it was a phenomenal day's racing, actually. It's incredibly hot here, 30-odd degrees. So to have to do all those mountains, and bear in mind, there was, I think there was eight kilometers of flat road out of 160K today. So to do that in the, in the heat that we've got, and for him to go on and win in the way that he did, and how brilliantly did he win as well, uh, just coming off Rafa Micah's wheel, and taking it, and again, it's it, it's been a really good couple of years for Colombians, and you know we all know the other guys who who, who everyone's real big fans of as well. And to see Jonathan do that today was really really good. Actually, I don't know him, I'll be honest, but of course the other big story about it is that it's fantastic for I am cycling as well. Yeah, I mean, as they're losing their sponsorship this year, um, you know, it's, it'll help him get a contract. It raises the profile of the team, which will help the other riders get a contract. I tell you yeah. what, though, I mean, we, we talked about climbing today, and the, the scenes from the Lassettes were just a, astonishing. I mean, beautiful, beautiful scenery, Mont Blanc in the background. But I think what defined today was the descending. I think we saw, uh, as the Australians would say, some hefty pairs of swingers on display today. Yeah, we really did, didn't we? Although, although we also saw some people who thought their balls were bigger than they actually were, didn't we? When Alan put that athlete, maybe, and uh, and even Rafa Micah actually, um, you know, went went over the edge, didn't he? On one point, and you thought, oh god, he's not going to go. Oh no, he's all right, he's all right, he's all right. Um, but uh, yeah, oh yeah, and that's one of the features. I've said it before. One of the features about this Tour of France is that they've really they've put in some some bigger descents than normal. And the one of the ones today, especially coming down off Grand Colombia, starts very wide and then it really narrows and narrows and narrows. So we could have seen much more difficulty from for many more riders. I'm glad we didn't. But um, yeah, fantastic win for for, for Jonathan Pantana. Now let, let's go to the GC. I mean, I, I watched you and uh, Juan Antonio talking about that, and there was there was some worry that. 
Team Sky was down to um, you know essentially just Woot on the front and you know with with Chris Froome. Um, I I genuinely think and and you mentioned this as well. I think they're saving their you know saving their matches until after the rest day. Those final days of the tour are so hard that I think Team Sky are actually managing the situation as opposed to getting weaker as the race progresses. Well, we talked about that last night, John. And I think I think you're right. They have been doing that. However, while when I've said that we don't see as much as you do at home, seeing on on t- watching on TV, one of the things that I do see that you don't get to see is the, the parts of the palace peloton that the cameras aren't interested in. So when mm-hmm. they crossed the line for the first time today, um, we saw four Astana guys on the front. Sky were actually you know looking as if they were having to work really quite hard and. A little bit later on, I saw Mikael Lander come past, and he did not in any way look like Sky will resting him today. He looked really cooked, I thought. Now, that, that's absolutely fascinating because that gives us some hope for the, the finale. I mean, my worry is, I mean, we saw an interview with the, the Trek DS and, and Laura had a chat with Valverde who, who talked up the chances of Nairo being strong going into the final week and, you know, they would try and attack then. My worry today is I saw a lot of people who looked to me as if they were satisfied with their place and weren't actually racing for the win anymore. We talked about this before, John, haven't we, where... Last year, Nairo and Alejandro and Movistar seemed content to go on the podium and come second and third. I think that's not good enough for Movistar this year, for me or for the team or for the fans, actually. And I'm guessing it's not good enough for Nairo and Alejandro. They've done it before. Nairo was second the year before as well. Uh, sorry, two years before as well. So I think they've got to do something, haven't they? And we, we just don't know with Nairo how strong he's feeling. We've talked about it many times. You just can't tell. Now, after today, he looked up. He looked fine to me. Chris put in a little bit of a sprint towards the very end of the last kilometre, didn't he? And I, I like seeing Chris do that because it's like he's, he's testing. He has a bit of a go. doesn't really intend to make up any seconds, but he has a go, and then he looks around, and mm. Nairo seemed all right. I thought Nairo seemed all right. Tomorrow is what Juan Antonio calls an active recovery day, really, for those guys. Really, we are definitely going to see what happens in those last four stages. Yeah, and I can kind of understand it from Trek Segafredo because Bauk is exceeding expectations. I mean, that was the time trial of his life. He's climbing super well. I can see that they must be delighted that he's looking like a solid bet for the podium if he doesn't collapse. But from Movie Star, I expect fireworks in this final week. Otherwise, I think I'll be a bit disappointed. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. One of the things I'll say about uh, about Trek there as well is but doesn't Bauer look incredibly relaxed when he's interviewed? And mm. he's obviously riding very well, but he looks like he's really taking it all enormously uh, in his stride. He really does. And the one other thing I would say, I mentioned yesterday, uh, Stephen Kreiser against Alan Chavez, uh, Tom Dumoulin, the welter. The one thing I'd say about Trek Segafredo is they actually do have at least two or three guys who can and do get up the road, which is what those three guys that I've just talked about have lacked. And... In their, in their quest for a grand tour, I mean. And just a, a small anecdote. At the end of the Giro, on, uh, when it actually all finished in, in Turin, I was having a drink with Matt White, the uh, director sportive of Orica Greenwich. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, Matt, look, it's been brilliant. Uh, you know, you've done ever so well, but I've got to ask you one question. Why didn't you put anybody in the break yesterday on stage 20? And that was the day when Esteban lost the Giro d'Italia. And, mm-hmm. and he said... It's really not that easy. He said, we tried. We tried so hard to get someone in the break, and we just couldn't do it. And what I've seen with Trek Segafredo this year, at this tour, rather, is that they are managing to do it, and they're managing to do it much more 
than Giant Alpacin did, had the Vuelta much more than Orica did, and much more than Stephen Kreisreich, Stephen Rothschummer did uh, in the Giro d'Italia this year as well. So I've got, a, I've got much more hope, I think, for Balka Molina than I did looking back uh, on those other guys. Because I'm a Zubeldia, he may, he may be the eternal uh, second or the eternal the top 10 rider, but he's a very strong rider. He looked good when he was coming through the finish line today. And they've got a few other guys in there who are really going to help Balka out. It's funny, actually. I mean, that's one thing that we should remember is we talk as, as punters and you talk to, to Juan Antonio uh, about what the teams should do. What I think we forget is that what we're asking that we do is actually impose their will upon some of the most elite athletes in the world who are every bit yeah. as good as they are and probably better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I had to apologise to Matt actually after that because it sounds so stupid, but it's never really occurred to me. You don't just get in the break, but it's so rare that we see entire stages and see the break forming. We just sort of, we just see it when the break's already formed. So we sort of say, well, hang on a minute. Why, why the hell didn't, why did the hell didn't uh, Giant get someone up there in the road to tell Tom when it got to the Arctic Day? We all knew what was going to happen, which I think is exactly what I said to you, in fact, <laughs> at the Giro. And uh, yeah, when you talk to a DS or Juan Antonio or one of the other guys, they just say, well, hang on. It's really not that bloody easy. It's really complicated, actually. Yeah, and that's something we're going to see as the as the tour draws to a close. We've got full coverage of, of quite a few stages coming up, which actually means I have to look for you and Juan Antonio a bit earlier than usual. Um, if people are looking for you, where can they find you, Jim? Uh, Juan Antonio and I are on Tour de France Extra before and after every stage. I'm with Greg Lamont on Le Tour by Le Monde every evening around about 8 o'clock UK time, 9 o'clock Central European time. All those on Eurosport, of course. I'm tweeting Ashley on Twitter. And you're absolutely right, John. Juan Antonio and I will be with you a few more times very early. So if you ever dreamt of waking up with me and Juan Antonio, you have the chance now. See, that's, that's, that's painted a picture in my head that I'm going to really struggle to put out of my head for the rest of the night and maybe I'll actually scar yeah. me for life. So thanks for that. Um, I shall talk to you I didn't tomorrow. mean it like that. I, I didn't mean it like that. God, you've got a terrible, filthy mind you have. Yeah, a couple of times, mate. You've tweeted, I'm going to bed with Scott and John. I mean, it's people are getting the wrong idea. <laughs> okay, this is a whole different podcast. See you tomorrow. Bye. So the top 10s for today's stage, Jarlinson Pantano takes the win ahead of Rafael Maika. In third place was Alexis Villamuros. In fourth was Sebastian Reichenbach. In fifth, Julian Alaphilippe. In sixth, Serge Pouls. In seventh, Pierre Roland. In eighth, Ilnor Zakharin. Ninth, Daniel Navarro. And rounding out the top 10 was Tom Yelta-Slagter. The general classification after stage 15 is that Chris Froome still retains his yellow jersey, 1.47 ahead of Baukamolema in second place. In third is Adam Yates at 2.45. In fourth, Nairo Quintana at 2.59. In fifth is Alejandro Valverde at 3 minutes and 17. In sixth is Roman Bardi at 4 minutes and 4. In 7th place is Richie Port at 4.27. In 8th is TG Van Garderen at 4 minutes and 47. In 9th is Dan Martin at 5 minutes and 3. And rounding out the top 10 is Fabio Aru at 5 minutes and 16. Having transitioned yesterday to get to the Jura, the Peloton will transition once again tomorrow, chiefly just to get to the Tour's final rest day. Stage 16 is another long one at 209 kilometres and starts in Moran en Montagne and goes to the Swiss town of Bern. So, rolling parkour 
A categorised climb 20 kilometres from the uphill finish. Hmm, if only we had a rider amongst the pack who would be well suited to this kind of terrain. Do you know, I've, I've, I've got two, two uh, minds about tomorrow, um, more, more so than any other stages so far, is I genuinely think that come the rest day and the stages that come afterwards, we might just see the entire peloton shut down and an opportunistic breakaway stick because they want a rest before the hellish finale of the tour. But equally, you know, Peter Sagan. Yeah, it really is that. It's it's the breakaway versus Peter Sagan tomorrow, isn't it? And for, for precisely the reasons that, that you stated, the, the, the rest day is coming up the day after. Um, it is a, a, a day that doesn't challenge anybody in GC. It's not really one for the sprinters, although the the stage profile, I think, kind of flatters to deceive. It's not quite as lumpy as as it would suggest. I think you need to look at the the height differential between kind of start and finish and realise that it's not going up very far and not subsequently down very far either. Um, so, yeah, the, the peloton may just ride piano tomorrow and give the breakaway guys, whoever they may be, the, the chance to, to fight it out amongst themselves again. But, you know, that guy, Petter, he doesn't like not not racking up those green jersey points and, and doubly so if he gets to win. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a fascinating stage to watch. And of course, it is just, uh, you know, an appetiser for the stages to come. And before the rest day, we're going to see some people make big efforts in the, in, you know, in the knowledge that they've got nothing to do the day after other than, you know, a, a nice massage and a couple of hour easy spin. But I, I genuinely think we'll shut down the race and see a breakaway go away, and that makes it impossible to predict. I mean, I really do. Mm. Because, I I mean, we've had, although it's not been the most exciting GC racing, uh, we've had hard racing. You know, the, the hammer went down with, what, 45k to go today? Um, and that, I mean, that was hard. There are going to be some sore legs looking for some recovery. So, yeah, my money's on a breakaway tomorrow. And, you know, who's going to win? I've got no idea. Mm. Uh, just a, a quick mention going back to today I think the sad trombone jersey needs to transfer from Cannondale to Cofidis because I think simply by virtue of the fact that all of Cannondale was in the breakaway today and by process of attrition we had two riders of uh, from their team ending up in the top 10 um, Cofidis I think should should get that, that jersey today so anybody looking to, to pay close attention to the sad trombone jersey Cofidis are, are getting it today. Yeah and actually we got a hard time from somebody about giving uh, Pierre Roland a hard time because apparently he thinks he's broken his hand but doesn't want to go for an x-ray in case he discovers he's broken his hand. Oh shut which up! Which isn't brave, that's just stupid Exactly, I'm glad you said that because I was about to <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, I mean I, I do appreciate and have grudging respect for this, you know, cyclist hard man image. But when it comes to, I'm not going to the doctor, my hand's falling off, but I shall write, oh, please, dry your eyes, get it sorted, then you'll get my sympathy. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm speechless, genuinely. If you've got a serious injury, go and get it sorted. That's no brave, that's just them. Well, thank you for joining us today as Jarlinson Pantano did himself plenty of favours in his search for a new team next year. Peter Sagan certainly isn't in need of any favours and looking attractive to other squads for 2017, but will he be outwitted by the break? Join us again tomorrow as we discuss exactly what happened in another edition of The Velocast. <laughs>